Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares describes the blessings God gives and why we should be grateful. If you are the person that's not found, but you are the shepherd that finds the lost sheep, or the woman that finds the lost coin, or the dad that finds the lost son, right, there's great joy in that. And all I'm saying is you need to be that, and you need to be joyful, and you should be grateful. Certainly the father was grateful that the lost son was found. Certainly the, 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 the woman was grateful that the lost coin was found. Surely the shepherd was grateful to God that the sheep was found. Throughout history, Christians have generously blessed their communities with shelters, wells, hospitals, and so much more. And while these are wonderful blessings, we need to remain focused on the greatest gift of all, salvation. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares encourages us to do good to others so that we can share the best thing, Jesus Christ. I'm Dave Drury. We're starting with the parable of the shrewd manager from Luke 16. And now here's Pastor Mike with the conclusion of a message called Grateful for the Secondary Benefits. Turn with me to Luke 16, Luke chapter 16. Here's an example. You cannot deny this is going to be getting people's attention. It will pave the way. You will get a hearing if you just practice this passage. They may reject your message, which we don't know, even in the passage we just studied, we're looking at today, if anyone in that paragraph is understood to have responded to the message of the Christ. I don't know. Later, we find out that there is response in Samaria, but you may have the people not respond rightly to the gospel because they don't want to see themselves as sinners. But I'll bet you'll get a hearing if you start doing things like this. And I know this is going to make you feel a little weird, but let's look at the passage together. Jesus is telling a story about the the shrewd, dishonest manager. And, and if you know the story, great, but here's the thumbnail. The guy is knowing he's going to lose his job, so he goes and gives people financial benefit by cooking the books, and, and the accounting gets a little twisted. He basically cheats his master, but he's giving people financial advantage so that when he gets booted from his job, he's got a couch to sleep on. Because if someone saved you $10,000 at work and then said, hey, uh, you know, I need a place to stay this week, and you're like, oh, okay. You just save me 10 grand, of course. You need to stay with me for a while? Absolutely. That's the parable. Then Jesus, he says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, not for his dishonesty, not for cooking the books, but for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd, they're more thoughtful, they're more strategic in dealing with their own generation, in this illustration, than the sons of light. And you should feel the slap. Ow. I guess they're more strategic and thoughtful than we are. And this is a parable about how a guy used finances to make them say yes when he needed a place to stay. Here's the punchline, verse nine. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, there's just a parenthetical when it fails, but here's the so that, so that they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, There's a lot packed into that, but let's just unpack it real quick. Unrighteous wealth. Okay, Bible doesn't put a big value on money the way most people do. They idolize it. They want a bunch of it. And we should be content with what we have. If God gives you a lot like Abraham, great. It's a blessing from God, but we should not let it consume us, right? It is the root, 1 Timothy 6, of all kinds of evil. It can be a bad thing. It's used for bad things every day. 
but one day it's going to fail. And money fails, and we both have the exact same economic status the day we die. You don't take any with you. I don't take any with me. We're both broke at that point. There's no money in my wallet that matters at that point. So money fails. So we're talking about crossing the threshold from this life to the next. And when we cross into the next life, what really matters is whether or not I responded to the call of Christ, which is to trust in God, trust also in me. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I come again, I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am, you can be also. So you need an eternal dwelling with me. And you need to trust in God and you need to trust in me. That's great. I want an eternal dwelling. Good. I also now want to take in the meantime my worldly wealth and use it to, as weird as that sounds, make friends so that they can have an eternal, eternal dwelling. I want them to have one so that when it's barbecue time in the kingdom, hey, great, you can come. Because here's the thing. I can use a lot of money to do a lot of things in this life, but if I can use it to pave the way to do something about securing them in the eternal dwelling, which is going to involve the gospel, which is going to involve presenting Christ, then that would be a good use of my money. And that is all about paving the way. Well, how did the shrewd, unrighteous manager pave the way? He gave people an economic advantage. He gave them that. Now, he did it with someone else's money. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. With anyone else's money, don't steal money to give to someone else and say, now, let me share the gospel with you. Nope. I want you to take your money and do exactly what this passage says and make friends with that money so that God might enable you to do exactly what he has in view here, making sure those people got a place in the eternal kingdom. And all I'm telling you is, if you don't think money gets people's attention, when you are generous with your money with them to give you a hearing about anything, They'll sit there and listen to you talk about politics if you are a generous person with your money, right? I guarantee you, right? I mean, go and, and skunk the, the waitress with no tip and try and talk to her about anything. Give her $100 for a tip today after, at lunch and see if you won't be able to have a conversation. I mean, it opens doors. And the Bible's very clear about that. And that may sound weird to you, but the Bible says he's entrusted you with things, whatever they might be, to utilize those as secondary graces. Is it not a grace for someone to be economically advantaged in some way? If you can do that, that secondary grace might pave the way for you to have them pay attention to you presenting Christ, which is exactly what our passage is doing. The signs were pointing people to Philip's message and they were at least listening. And we know some of them later were gonna respond. If any of you in this room are not known as generous people at your work, you got a problem, right? You ought to be the most generous. If you're invited to some coworker and they're having a birthday party or they're having a baby, so you're going to their, their shower or whatever, you ought to be someone that's generous. I mean, you can do that to a place of social awkwardness. And I'm not saying, you, hey, I got a new car for you outside. That might be weird. But for you to go the extra mile, and in this case, literally spend the extra dollar, the extra 20 bucks, the extra 40 bucks, the extra 80 bucks, right? I guarantee you that's going to make friends and give you opportunities to talk about things that matter, which are ultimately the eternal grace of the gospel. How about another one? Go with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I don't have a lot of money. Well, great. You should be generous no matter how much money you have. You ought to be building bridges with non-Christians. You ought to show them that you care about them more than you care about your money. But even if you were strapped for cash, look at what the Bible has to say here in Titus chapter 2, 
about the way you can get a hearing with non-Christians. Look at verse 9. Bond servants. Right? That's a guy that doesn't have a lot of money. Be submissive to your own masters. I'll put it in the, in the second person, right? He's talking to Titus about making sure the bond servants are submissive to their own masters. But bond servants, be submissive to your own masters in everything. Be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You now are going to dress up what you got to say by, in this case, the disposition with which you work. Even Titus was called to do that. Look up at verse 7. Hey, Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity. Here's the showcasing of it. Dignity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned so that our opponents may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Well, Titus is a good guy. Titus is a good guy. Titus is a, is a dignified guy, an integrous guy, a generous guy. Nothing bad to say about that guy. I hope in your neighborhood, I hope in your workplace, I hope in your extended family, they see integrity, they see good work ethic, they see you being a person that cares more about those people than you do about your wallet. You need to be the kind of person that makes a statement by the good that you do and those things that you provide that are advantages to them, whether it's being a boss, that boss of a great employee, or whether it's the generosity that you provide them, that they can look at you and say, yeah, I got nothing bad to say about them. As a matter of fact, they're more apt to listen to you because you're a good person than they would someone else who is your counterpart, who may have a good message, but has not built any relationship. And I got to flip this back the other way again. When you see a guy with a bullhorn sharing the gospel on the street corner, Right, which you don't see much of around here, but you've seen it before, right? Depending on where you go, maybe at the beach, whatever. Some of, some of them are heretics. They're saying the wrong thing. Some of them are saying exactly what you know. I know that's true what he's saying. But a lot of you wince at that because you're like, oh, I don't have any relationship. I don't think they've earned the right to say that. This is not going to be rejected just because they don't even know these people. Okay, calling someone a sinner and you don't know them, that's a lot harder pill to swallow. It's still a tough pill to swallow if you do know them and you've built a relationship. But the point is, you build the relationship and don't share the light of the truth of the gospel that is a bit of a stinger, then here's the thing, it does you no good. It has to be both in. Do good, but also present Christ. You got to do both. Amos chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I don't have time to even look at that one, but there's just so much in the Bible about the things that we do which, by the way, have compounding effects in economy, in, in security, in business, in politics, in society, we can make a positive difference just because we are Christians in our environment bringing secondary benefits all the time to those around us. Now bring the eternal benefit, the eternal grace of the gospel. All right, verse 8, just quickly, back to our passage, 8.8. 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. If I can flip this just a little bit and say, at least imagine a lot easier for them to be joyful when the messenger himself is recognizing the good of what he's doing. And I don't want to make too much of that, but the passage says they were in the city, they were joyful. Of course, as they would be. If your cousin got healed and he was a paralytic and a beggar and now he's walking around and going to sign up for a job and getting an you know, honest day's wage because he's, work, you know, he's healthy and working... You'd be happy. That'd be joyful. Uh, if you were saved that day, you'd be joyful. 
But Philip, I'm sure, was not a cantankerous, bitter man. As a matter of fact, all the good that God did through him in the city of Samaria there, I'll bet when he put his head on the pillow that night at the Roadway Inn or wherever he was staying, I'll bet there was a smile on his face, don't you think? Dude, people got healed today. I shared the gospel. Maybe, I'm hoping he's thinking, and that guy and that gal and that family, they put their trust in Christ today. That's a joyful thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, when God analogizes our task, really specifically even the pastor looking at his compounded focus on the task, he says, it's like being a soldier. It's going to be hard. It's like being an athlete. You got to keep the rules. But then he says, it's also like a farmer. And a farmer gets to share in the first fruits. He gets to share in the benefits of what happens. And here's the thing. If you are the agent of that salvation, if you are the person that's not found, but you are the shepherd that finds the lost sheep or the woman that finds the lost coin or the dad that finds the lost son, right? There's great joy in that. And all I'm saying is you need to be that and you need to be joyful and you should be grateful. Certainly the father was grateful that the lost son was found. Certainly the, 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 the woman was grateful that the lost coin was found. Surely the shepherd was grateful to God that the sheep was found. So let's just put it that way and let us be, number three, joyfully thankful. Number three, give joyful thanks for God's gifts. And I mean, of course, it's a non, I mean, I don't mean to say it, when someone comes to faith in Christ, but even the things that move in that direction, even the secondary benefits that you bring in making your office a better place, in making that shower a better experience, in being a part of a neighborhood where you make it a better, safer, more righteous place, and you see the good that comes from that. Give thanks to that. Give thanks to God for that. And I would say this, we often don't even keep track of that, and you should. Psalm 103, verses one through three, talks about us blessing the Lord. And it says one thing in verse two, it says, and forget not all of his benefits. Forget not all of his benefits. Remember all of his benefits, another way to put it. You need to start itemizing. What are the benefits that God has brought into your environment? And I'm thinking like Philip, specifically through you. That's the subset in this sermon. The subset is, I want to be joyful for the good things God is doing through me, right? Even in my industry, right? There are cheats and people that steal and that compromise and trust me, right? I don't care what you do. If you're a plumber and, and you think, well, a lot of people are ripping people off, I don't, right? If you think I'm, I'm giving my employees what exactly honest repair, whatever, great. Let's take joy in that. Let's thank God for, for that. Let's thank God for the generosity, the hard work, the extra mile, the extra hour, the extra dollar, all those things, and let's just stop and be thankful for those. And that is what we are to do and to see the connection of God working through us. In, when Jesus was talking in John 3 to Nicodemus, he says about coming into the light. People don't want to come into the light because their deeds will be exposed. But he says this about people that do step into the light. When they do, they get to recognize and acknowledge that their work was, as the old translations say, rot in God. They were produced in God. They were done because God was at work in people. And people that step into the light, who repent and put their trust in, God, in Christ, like you I trust have, and now you're going out there to advance the gospel, you recognize this is a good thing God is doing in my little corner of the world. Take time to joyfully thank God for that. That's a good thing. Your office is a better place. Your neighborhood is a better place because you're there. You're making the connection. ESV says, works are carried out in God. What a good thing. Verse 21 of John 3. A few weeks ago, our electricity went off in the middle of the Saturday night service. And at that point, the sun was going down earlier, so it was dark. So we finished the service. This happened a few times in my years of preaching where we were preaching in the dark and we didn't have electricity. 
And that was all fine, right? No big deal, especially because that's, we were out in the patio at that point, and no big deal, even though all the lights everywhere went off. The problem was it was off, the electricity was off for hours. And when it was done, staff and workers and pastors, we went back to our offices, and it's the first time since the completion of 145 where CBI is, where the classrooms and library and all that, the lounge, and, and all the schooling is. Well, we've also put our offices over there, and so it's the first time we've ever been in our offices without light. <laughs> we like it better with light. Let me just put it that way. It was, a, it was a bit of a hassle to try and grope around for your flashlight and figure out where things were and open drawers where you put your keys, and it's like, ah, oh, I can't figure this all out. Because like a lot of things, you don't really appreciate the light until the light is gone, which, by the way, is how you ought to view yourself. You are light in this world. And you know, light, if it were personified, should feel pretty good about being light because you do a lot of good for people. And if the light is gone, man, there's darkness. And that's not good. If the salt weren't salty in our community, it would be bad. If you weren't doing good and presenting Christ, the world would not be what it is. It'd be, it'd be horrible. Matter of fact, you can make the case from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the restraining work of the Holy Spirit is done through the people of God on this earth. And when he takes them out, it says, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And really, just read the book of Revelation, all hell breaks loose on the earth. You can think about a woman who lives in a home with all non-Christians, but she's a Christian. 1 Corinthians 7 says that one life makes God see that whole household differently. You are sanctifying, in a practical way, that whole household. God's blessing, God's favor in that home just because there's one Christian there. It's one of the reasons it says you should think twice about bailing out on that because you are a sanctifying effect. I mean, you turn on the news this weekend and you see, I don't know, people running for governor in the state of California and you go, what <laughs> has happened in this world? A lot of us said it, right? We are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I couldn't help but think about that. What a crazy culture we're living in. And I thought, man, you know, all my friends that live in other states that bag on me for being from California, I'm like, ugh, hope they're not watching the news this weekend, right? It's just like, <laughs> I, feel, I feel terrible. Yeah, we do live in, in, in the land of fruits and nuts. This is craziness out here <laughs> on the left coast. And I couldn't help as I, it came out of my mouth. My wife's tired of me talking to the TV screen when I see this stuff. But... <laughs> I couldn't help but think about Sodom and Gomorrah. When Abraham was there and God said, done, we're destroying that place. Remember the story in, in the book of Genesis? And Abraham starts to negotiate because his nephew lives there. Uh, what, if, what if there were 50 righteous people there? I mean, would you, would you hold it off? God says, yeah, I wouldn't destroy it. There are 50 righteous people there. Abraham, uh, you would, so there aren't, um, what about 45? There are 45 righteous people would you destroy? God says, yeah, there are 45 righteous people I wouldn't destroy. I know I'm testing your patience, God, but what about 40? Would you destroy it for 40? You know the passage? 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. He goes to 10 and God says, wouldn't destroy it if there were 10. Now, he knows he's got his nephew there and his nephew's family. It's like, I hope they got a small group Bible study going on there because, <laughs> I mean, you mean to tell me there are not 10 people in that, in that place? And you know what gets me about that whole story? Is that God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah had there been 10 people 
who were trusting God and following God. And I'm just thinking, that makes light feel pretty good about being light. Can you imagine? Now, the sad thing about Sodom and Gomorrah was there wasn't. That's why I'm hoping that all of you don't move to Texas to go on these church plants. (laughs) Don't leave me here. So let's continue to be salt and light in this place because God, much like individuals in households that love God, even if you are the minority, if you're the singular person in a household, God says, 1 Corinthians 7, I see that house differently. My favor there rests on that place. Doesn't mean that people are saved. And in our state, I'm just telling you this, right? Even in our country, in this world, God's still holding back what he would otherwise do. Because our job is not done and you are salt and light in this world. But what good is the salt if it loses its saltiness? What good is light if it's under a bushel and no one ever talks about the Christ? God help us, give us courage to be good. Just like Lot, it's not easy when you're down to a super low minority and even as it says in the New Testament, Lot's righteous soul was tormented every day. A lot of individuals probably is the only Christian in their household that feel tormented every day. And there's people in situations all the time, even the remnant in Israel at particular times in the Old Testament, that, that just their souls were battered because of the evil around them. But God, they had a role to play, and we do too, to continue to be the standard of what is good and right in our areas. Of course, not absolutely. You're the only one that's absolutely right, but God... We reflect your holiness and your righteousness and your integrity and your honesty and virtue and hard work and generosity and all those things that make a difference everywhere we go. And I pray that we would be known for that in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the circles in which we run, and that we would not leave that void of words that speak of Christ the Lord, who died like a lamb led to slaughter and willingly gave his life for sinners like us. So God, help us please to speak up about that message this week as we live as salt and light in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're listening to Focal Point, and today's message is titled, Grateful for the Secondary Benefits. And it's part of a month-long series called Gospel Advance. Now, Pastor Mike will join us again in just a moment with one more announcement, so please stay with us. And don't forget, you can listen to this program or any of our previous messages when you go to focalpointradio.org. Well, as you listen to Focal Point, I'm sure that you can hear Pastor Mike's passion for sharing the gospel and encouraging Christians to boldly proclaim the truth about God. That's the reason this ministry exists. And if you're ready to step up and help us bring this program to others who desperately need to hear God's truth, then we invite you to support this program financially. By giving generously to Focal Point, you ensure that the unfiltered, uncensored Word of God is heard in your community and beyond. Please contact us to make a one-time gift or set up your monthly giving and become a Focal Point partner when you go to focalpointradio.org or call us at 888-320-5885. Now, as promised, we have a special opportunity coming up this summer. Pastor Mike will be cruising to Alaska to teach and worship with fellow passengers while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coastline. Now, here's Pastor Mike with more information. Pastor Mike Fabar is here. 
You know, God created the world for his children to enjoy and to help you worship him in his creation. I'm going to invite you to join me for a seven-day Alaskan cruise coming up in the summer of 2024. We're going to study the Bible together, and we're going to worship with a Grammy Award winner named Keith Hancock. We're going to visit the beautiful, majestic scenery of God and his creation, so don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org Alaska. Thanks, Pastor Mike. Get more information about how you can join him in Alaska at focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back for the final installment of a new message from Pastor Mike Fabares in the series called Gospel Advance. That's coming up Wednesday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.